Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders who influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. I've said for many years, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are, right? Because we tend to attract people like us. We tend to gravitate towards people like us, right? So is it that those around us cause us or create who we are? I think there's influence there for sure. But I think it's just more about who we are than we go out and look for people that we feel comfortable around. There's definitely that conundrum. If you have a group of people, the, you call them professionals, if you've got the professional group or the, you know, the people that are, that are pulling you up and then you've got maybe a group, I'm making assumptions here, but maybe you've got a group that are pulling you down, then that's where I think we have to make decisions personally for our own desires, growth trajectories and well-being is are the people I am investing my time with people that I should be investing my time with. That's not an easy process, right? Because sometimes we have people in our lives that frankly we shouldn't have those people in our lives. You know, and yet there's such a history that it's hard to just separate or you know draw that line and go a different direction because it's like I said, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of baggage, there's a lot of positives and negatives. I mean, just history, right? But sometimes I think we need to get to that place where it's like, yeah, look around. Well, who are those five people that metaphorically you talk about, you know, who, who, who's in my sphere that's, that's really defining me. Like, hmm, there's an old adage, uh, uh, you may have heard this. I think metaphorically, it makes it, it's kind of cool where there's crabs in a bucket. Y'all know that one, right? And when one of the crabs tries to climb out of the bucket, the other crabs grab its legs and pulls it back in. So it's like, that's the difficulty when you like, okay, I've got to separate myself and distance myself from certain people that are in my life. Then they, they're like grasping. It's like, where are you going? Come back. Be part of us. Yeah, it is exactly that. And, and I think there's some element to pay attention to those who are grasping you back in, right? And why? Is it because you finally said no to something that you wanted to say no to? And those individuals, for whatever reason, are trying to pull you back or want you back or miss commiserating or whatever it may be, right? So I think there's, there's definitely some growth mindset into that as well, right? If, if they're trying to pull you back into their circle into, or into an environment where you've said no, why do they want you back so bad? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I mean, there's your self-awareness, but you need to know who's around you too. And you have the power to say no. I think we're all right. We all have our different opinions about this and how we manage things. As we become more aware, we're also aware of the people around us and we just start attracting those like-minded people into our inner circle. 
Now, there's the inner circle, which are your close friends, and your partner not necessarily has to be that inner circle for growth mindset. A partner could be a different relationship that you have. But there's compatibility. That's a different conversation. That's where Mark will come in and talk about compatibility and respect and that kind of stuff. I'm talking more about the growth mindset. I surround myself with people that I get a chance to grow with and challenge me and talk to me and work through it. That's why I love Kevin. He challenges me every single moment of my life in everything we do. No, it's great. It's great because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for our partnership. I'd like to challenge that comment. <laughs> yeah. I'll beat you up after. But that's, you know, that's who we are. And that's what, that's what works for us. And that's what works for me and my people around me and my new partner. Same thing. We challenge each other in every aspect of our lives. Great. Now, that doesn't mean that I have people around me. Like my brother, I can't change my brother. I love him. I care for him. Is he like-minded? Not necessarily. He's in my life. Is he in my inner circle that allows me to grow? No. He's in my inner circle that's family. Different circle. We choose where we want to be. We choose who we need in our lives. If there is somebody who is just a negative Nelly and just screwing around your day every day, okay, it's time to question and move on. But these are my opinions about the inner circle. And I've done that for myself over the last few years as chosen and attracted the right people in that circle. Okay, Mark, I want to hear this on the spot. I don't know if I have any profound wisdom to this. <laughs> uh, you talked about the crab illustration. It was also the frog in the boiling water illustration. Uh, when you're not aware, you can find yourself in destructive and toxic relationships that, pull, that will slowly kill you. And so um, the awareness is the big piece here. You, you, you know, if you don't know yourself, how are you going to know someone else? And so I think the journey is to have a healthy relationship with yourself first. And, and when you do that, then you actually can recognize when somebody is actually lifting you up or when they're pushing you down. And uh, the people in your inner circle need to be the people that are, that build you up, that make you better, just as Licky just said. Uh, who have your best in mind. And uh, the more of those people you have in your inner circle, the better. Uh, we tend, you know, through our childhood up, when we tend to put people around us that are critical of us and who don't build, or build us up, um, it's usually because there's something within us that we, a limiting belief or, or something within us that... Uh, comes into agreement with their criticism of us. And so it becomes comfortable for us to, to hear it and uh, acknowledge it. So are they making you better? Are they building you up? Are they your cheerleaders? Or are they critical and pulling you down? And that does mean sometimes family relationships. Uh, boundaries protect relationships. Just remember that. They protect relationships. They don't hurt relationships. Sorry, Mark, did you say that you had no profound wisdom today? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Um, can you please elaborate a little bit on one section of that comment regarding the, it's your limiting beliefs that they, can you expand on that a bit? <laughs> so to the long version of that is, if, you know, self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Self-image is how you see yourself. Self-dignity is how you treat yourself. If you don't uh, see yourself in the right light, you can't feel good about yourself. And so when you, what we tend to do is like you brought up the law of attraction there, 
what we tend to do, if there's something in us that we do not like or that we self-loathe about, we tend to gravitate or pull people in that will confirm that. We're always looking for witnesses. So if you have a healthy relationship with yourself, I'm looking for witnesses that are going to confirm my, my affirmation of myself. If I have a low self-esteem, I'm going to pull in witnesses to agree with me that I'm a piece of crap or whatever, whatever we struggle with. And so uh, that's why it's so difficult to break those cycles because we tend to, uh, we want confirmation of what we believe about ourselves. And if we have a limiting belief, then we're going to pull in that confirmation and uh, it's destructive. You don't deserve it. You're, you're, you're way more valuable than that. And so the first place I had to start in my healing journey was to actually start to relate to myself better. It doesn't mean I'm, um, I, I'm arrogant. It actually, it humbles you. It doesn't make you more pride. If you, if pride comes in, that puffs up or covers up. So pride is always, you know, um, either you think too much of yourself or you think too little of yourself. And pride will always pull in the wrong relationships. Humility will pull in the good relationships because when you, when you realize how valuable you are and that you're being treated with value, it humbles you and you're grateful. That's that's how you tell the difference which one you're pulling in. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. That, that, that resonates now. Thank you. Yes. Kind of to jump off, I know this is only my second time here, but I'm you know familiar with the assessment and. I think it's a could a, a good jumping off point because of what was said before because of what my my type is. So I'm a competitor, and um, I was wondering if you have advice about when you're onboarding new people and jumping off of what was said before. Is there a way to? Is it what's the best way? <laughs> maybe everyone in the group might know this already because maybe I'm a little behind, but to get if you don't know someone very well to get to know their type instead of this, I, mean, I guess like I just have them take the test and then I would know. But yeah, then yeah. like also how to interact because I've used a lot of different personality type indicators, but not this one so much in hiring people and I'm about to onboard two new people and I'm super, to be really vulnerable with you guys. Like I just don't think that's a strong suit of mine, onboarding new people. <laughs> and so I'm really scared. I'm afraid I'm going to make the same mistakes. You know, I did a Groundhog Day about the last you know, business manager that I onboarded and what went good and what went really bad. That's mostly really bad. So any advice that you guys could give me about that would be really helpful. Because I definitely am in that zone of not feeling great about myself. And I don't want to attract. It's like I want to attract two good new people, not, you know, having that bad energy be out there of like, oh, this is what I'm not good at. And how am I going to be better? And how can I make it different this time? Sounds like, or what I perceive here is there's a couple different questions within your question if i heard you right one is how do you identify somebody's style well, you want to know if they're a competitor or a motivator or a peacemaker and what their temperament leads to with you and your team right answer that i just put into the chat our document that we use one of our tools called the secret survey secret because you're not actually inviting the other person to participate oh you're just doing it in your own head. So you're playing a little game. You're going, okay, look, wonder what quadrant they might be in. Mm -hmm. And you only, need to, you only need to focus on the four quadrants. The primary styles, competitor, motivator, peacemaker, analyzer. Um, and if you flip those first letters of those around, we call it camp, just for simplicity. Because uh, if you can understand the, the four primary styles, you'll be able to understand the blends. 
If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. So a competitor and a motivator blend would be the energizer. And if you can just kind of sense as you get to know them, which side they fall into more, you know, predominantly. But that'll help. That'll give you at least an idea. So you ask yourself, are they fast paced? Are they slower paced? You know, are they task versus people oriented? Those basic questions. It's not science and it's not 100% accurate, but it's pretty close. It'll get you in the, it'll get you in the ballpark. Now you can understand it. So if you're looking for somebody with that peacemaker temperament, you know, that steady, even keel team, all about the team type of a person to join your team, then uh, in your interview, a competitor, just you'll become aware. You go, oh, this person might actually ruffle feathers, not actually create harmony that I'm looking for. The other part of your question, if I heard you, is um, how do you not necessarily attract people who are just like you. Did I get that right? It, well, I didn't say that, but I don't think it's a good idea to attract people to me because I think certain qualities, yes, um, that would be good to have that are similar to me, but not someone, like, I don't think it would be good to have another competitor like that's like big on my team, like my business manager. I wouldn't think that'd be good. Maybe my bookkeeper could be a competitor and that wouldn't be a big deal. So I think it depends on the position. But it, I was more saying about like, okay, I think I know who I'm going to pick, but I'm scared of like pulling the trigger. I'm like, I'm going to make a mistake again. I'm going to screw up, you know, and I'm in that, like, I know I'm in that negative mindset, you know, that I'm just uh, feeling super vulnerable and scared. And I don't want to, you know, make the same mistakes I made before. Erica, thank you. Thanks for saying that. And Kevin, thanks for your input there. When we, when we, and when I and Kevin both do our keynotes and workshops, one of the biggest questions we ask or get asked is, what makes a perfect team? What style makes a perfect team? Well, of course, a well-rounded, every single style makes a perfect team. But what makes it even a better team is everyone is aware of their blind spots. And you can have two competitors working side by side. You can have opposites working side by side. Kevin and I are somewhat opposites and we work really well together because we both understand our blind spots. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in this. Who's the right person? It's really being aware of your own blind spots, your own behaviors first. Because if somebody else is uh, challenging you, they're challenging you. They're challenging your mindset. You've got to work through that yourself and be aware of what was causing that. They're not here. They're not sitting in our program and learning their blind spots. So we can't go and say, you've got a blind spot here. This is why it's not working. We have to manage that for ourselves first. Now, we can choose a peacemaker in our team, but an unaware peacemaker isn't going to help you to be cohesive. Whoever's unaware most likely will not help your mindset grow or even in your team. So the idea is to 
If you're looking for a perfect team, we always say a perfect team becomes aware. And this is why we do what we do. Because there's a lot of teams that aren't aware. And there's one or two people that are aware. And that's where the cohesiveness doesn't happen. That's where the conflict starts happening. You said I can challenge you earlier, right? Please do. No, I, I'm going to jump on that because I want to clarify. I understand what you were saying, but I want to clarify the, uh, the temperaments here. Somebody, in fact, most of us are unaware at, at various times. We're all striving to become more aware moment by moment. That's the, that's the goal. Identifying the style. So if you, if you need somebody on your team that is going to be that glue that holds the team together, that, that person that's driven for harmony, that, you know, that person who is the peacemaker, if you lack that and you, you say this person is skilled in all the areas I need and they're the peacemaker, that's perfect. That's what I need. Even if they're unaware, if they're a peacemaker, that's their go-to place. That's their left unaware. That's how they're going to show up. So, so they don't have to necessarily be aware to still add value to your team, if that makes sense. What Leaky, I think what you were trying to say is that the more of your team that becomes aware and the more you practice awareness and then grow together, that's just even that much exponentially greater. You then the self-aware teams always outperform unaware teams significantly. All so, of it point that way. So is it worth it? Because I I agree with all of that what you just said. Because so they can if they know and they know you're on board and looking at that they can call you on it and say, "Are you doing this because of this?" You know, like if I I mean I highlighted part about thinking that relationships are more important than the outcome because I don't usually think that I'm like I gotta win I gotta get that but so. And I can see myself like thinking the relationship is secondary to the, to the like, oh, getting this to be perfect, you know? So if someone knew that about me and I'm doing that in the relationship, they could like call me on it if I say, I want you to like work with me on that. Like, mm-hmm. so I could see how what you just said be true that. But if they don't know any, that about me, they just might try to plow through or I don't know, do something different or get upset by it. So that makes sense. But it, yeah. do you think then it's worth it to make it unsecret and to ask someone on your team to like take the, like to, so I can really n- know what they are and then see if they're on board with that? Yeah, we have, we have companies that actually use our blind spot assessment for every candidate that they're interviewing. Right. You can now, you know, HR rules, I guess, or I don't know if it's a law for, you know, frankly, but uh, definitely an HR practice is never hire somebody based on any assessment. So never hire somebody based on an assessment. That's standard rule of thumb. However, using assessments during hiring is powerful because it adds more information to the overall decision-making process, right? Right. That's what assessments are good for. So yeah, once, you know, you can ask everybody, say part of my standard, but you have to do this all with everybody. Part of my standard protocol for candidates being interviewed is you take this assessment. I need to know what your style is. Um, and we just take that as part of the consideration. The, um, the other part of it is if you don't want to do that, hang on, if you don't want to do that on an overall basis, then yeah, you, if you hire, use the secret survey, you, you hire somebody. Certainly once you've got your team in place, you can use our leader's guide to yeah. have those conversations to start building the team cohesive. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't used it yet, but I have it. So just head over. There you go. But yeah, right. I, right. Okay. Thanks. Sure. Uh, Eric, if I may 
suggest one of the things that I think is really valuable about the blind spot awareness is the ability to just use this to create open dialogue with your team. So instead of just using it as a criteria and you're knowing, the more it's all out in the open and everybody's just, you know, what talking about your blind spots and who you are and like the good and the bad of it allows you to have more authentic communication in those relationships. And I think for that reason specifically, it's invaluable. So if you're bringing a new team member in, it's not just about I need to know your type, but they need to know everybody else's type. And it can be part of how do things land for you? What do you need when you're learning to feel like you can get up faster? And how can I support you? And it flips the switch so that we're all coming together as equals and able to really then bring our best selves into the conversations. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me because I've used the Enneagram for years and years and years. And I use that in my personal relationship. And I find that my friends, and I use it in my with my clients too, I find my friends who are willing to talk about that and be like, this is why I did this because I'm an eight and like I, I <laughs> blah, blah, blah that I have better relationships with those people because then I know what they are and I know why they do. And I, I really work on that of like giving them what they need and yeah. being aware that they know what I need and why. And then they, they can call me on my stuff too. Yeah, Enneagram's a great tool as well. If I could mention one other concept that is inferred here. A lot of companies or people, leaders, look at the onboarding as a finite event. And I think you could go one step further and think of it in terms of uh, once they've onboarded, how do how do I get them into harmony with the team? And and so when we treat it like an onboarding, we just kind of you know get them their their equipment they need, tell them here's here's some company values, or here's a little list of you know here's a little paper to read, whatever, and then uh, get all your paperwork filled out, and that now they're onboarded. But actually, you, what you want to do is harmonize them into the company, into the organization and find those harmony spots where they fit and where they, they can find their, their flow. And, and that includes values. That includes them knowing the company and the heart of, of the company, getting the values from the wall to the heart. And so I would just maybe have the longer view of it and you might have more success in the people you do bring on. And uh, that's just a thought came to mind. I do have the long view. I've just never really gotten past the onboarding with some positions. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I say that. I'm like, if I can just this time, get past three months. <laughs> Erica, uh, thanks for uh, giving your information and what you're going through. Um, as Kevin said, the blind spot assessment actually does work with allowing others to see where the blind spots are. And what Barry said is that if we know your own, which is great. And if you hire a peacemaker, they don't understand that they're just going to be harmonious and yet stay quiet because that's their style. That's a blind spot. That's not going to help you. It's not going to help them. So that's where the awareness for them has to come in. And one of the things that's really helped us is that this piece of paper tells that person what the potential blind spots are 
without us saying it to them. So if they just take the assessment, they read it, then aha moment comes in. There's that little bit of self-awareness that's happening without us doing anything. It's a piece of paper, an assessment telling them that. As long as they read it, it's perfect. Now, as you take the assessment, there's a download available called a leader's guide where we coach you through how to work this assessment within your teams. And that allows vulnerability to happen, allows cohesiveness to happen and share their blind spots. I want to tie this back into Sue, your comment about like-minded people. Ideally, get them all to do a bias assessment, get them all to do a values exercise and have a conversation and say, look, do we all match? If you don't, become self-aware. Not always possible with your partners even or your closest friends. So just understanding where their styles are and managing that sometimes works. I was married to an analyzer for 30 years. Being a competitor, being a connector, opposites. Storyteller, detail person. I just realized this a couple of years ago. That's what, was, that's what the conflict was. I'm married to an analyzer too. I'm a connector. So all I do is tell her, analyze my stories. Yeah, but, as, but you became aware of that, right? Right, Mark, and you've done, you've done the work. And I became aware of it when, we, when I was introduced to blind spots. That's what I became aware of. And she took the blind spot and the test, and then we realized, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> if you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. I think a blind spot or assessment would be a great tool for pretty much every personal relationship. Well, in other teenagers, all of them. Every couple and coach I, uh, and every team and every couple I coach, uh, that's the first thing I have them do is do the, do the blind spot yes. assessment. I that's why you're one of our coaches, Mark. You know, I was thinking about, we talked a lot, and we use this term frequently today, especially self-awareness. And I was watching an episode of The Amazing Race. If anybody ever seen The Amazing Race, right? I love it because I can vicariously travel the world. One of the teams, a husband, wife, the wife makes a comment to the cameraman about her husband, whose behavior during this episode and all the episodes is pretty outrageous. And she said, uh, you know, something about him being a hothead and quick tempered. And he acknowledged it and said, yep, I'm a hothead. I'm quick tempered. And I realized that sometimes we think we're self-aware because we are aware that we're a hothead or, so, you know, what you put whatever you want into that, co- you know, comment right there. And that's only the first step in self-awareness. That's the acknowledgement without the acceptance, you know, self to be truly aware is we need to acknowledge, okay, I'm a hothead. Now I need to do something about that is not a good character character trait. 
Can I challenge that? Sure. What if he's living up to somebody else's standards that were impressed upon him? And he's truly not a hothead. And that's just he had a few outbursts in, in life, childhood, wherever it might sit. And he was given a standard. That is what you are. And he's just accepted that is who he should be, not what he actually is. So maybe his pure lack of self-awareness. Well, I think we're saying the same thing. Honestly, I think if he's a hothead, he's a hothead. Doesn't matter how he became a hothead. Until you realize I'm a hothead, now you start asking the questions that we always ask in this growth of becoming more self-aware is, where did this come from? How did, how did I get here? You know, what can I do to shift? What can I do to change? What does that look like to be different? You know, what does that look like to improve this area? So yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. It's maybe he just bought the narrative and that's the way he's been growing up. But the reality is he now is a hothead and that needs change. So to acknowledge and to say, you know, I'm self-aware because I understand who my, you know, my weaknesses, my strengths, all these things is only one step in the, in the equation. We, we need to continue to improve so that we actually become better. We learn to think better, be better and do better. I agree with both of you. I'm going to throw a wrench in there. Uh, Randall, do they actually tell you or did they, did that person actually say that that person is a hothead or is that the impression that's being given that they think that you're a hothead? Are both applicable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, I, if you look at that uh, image I just sent you, and this is the quote that Thomas Tully says, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who you think I think I am. And if somebody feels that they are perceived as hothead or whatever, you start acting like that and you start behaving that way. Just think about where our perceptions are. That's a whole, a whole awareness side of things, right? Are we aware enough to know what's coming our way and challenge that? A lot of us have a limiting belief. I'm not good enough. I don't belong. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. And as we feel I don't deserve it, we give that vibe out there. We're looking at from, from that lens, well, I don't deserve that compliment. I don't deserve that gift. And we deflect it. So bringing, bringing this uh, full circle back to Sue's original question, what do we do? How do we go about making shifts in the relationships where we need to make shifts? But if we look around and say, you know, I, I don't really think that this 40% is doing me any good. I think it's dragging me down. So what do we do? How do we do it? Mark, I have a question for you on this topic. Is this a little bit like an addiction? You keep going back to the same, you know, situation or the same story, the same abuse because you miss it or you enjoy it or you get some sort of self-pleasure or high or whatever it is. I'm curious. That's the first thing that came to me through it. So I'm very curious. I would suppose it could be a component of that. I'd go a little deeper because addiction is a symptom of something deeper, right? So it's not, you know, it's not purely just like an addiction because addictions are all different based on a self-comfort, self-soothing, self-medicating, whatever. And so, uh, but like I said earlier, the, the, the deeper thing is that 
if, if you, you know, subconsciously we're looking for that affirmation of what we believe of ourselves. And when we get it, it there's a, probably some level of a chemical hit to our brain. Uh, when it's positive, it's dopamine. When it's negative, it's adrenaline. So, but it is, that's why it is hard to get out of toxic relationships. It's a, co- a codependency takes place. You start to, you know, the pendulum swings, you know, you're either you're independent or codependent. What we want to be is interdependent. And so um, it, it's a pretty complex question because it depends on the person or what's going on. But yes, it always is a limiting belief that puts you, when you stay in harm, you stay in harm's way. There's a limiting belief at work somewhere. Yeah, I like that you use the word limiting belief there, Marcus. You know, one of the things that came up for me on that is you could be in a, a not so healthy, not positive relationship. And I don't want to make it sound like it's completely negative, but you can be in a relationship that's not, not the best for you, but it maybe is looking back at your own limiting beliefs. You know, well, why am I in this? You know, what do I feel about myself that would keep me in this? Is it? Yeah. My read, right? And what and Gary says in the comments, she said it's safe. It, it does become, it's kind of strange. I always tell people, even with shame, you know, shame tries to present itself as a friend and it becomes safe to keep believing that, but it's not safe. It's, it's a, it's a lie. It's, it's, it, it might feel safe temporarily, but the, the results are not safe at all. But that is, it can become very, uh, you get used to it in that way. Yeah. You can get obsessive over that thinking. And then that is, that is like an addiction. I think it's because we're working from our unconscious, which is how we mostly, as Jung says, if we don't let the unconscious become conscious, we keep going along and thinking that fate is what's ruling our lives. Something like that. I don't have the quote exact, but I think that's what happens. We're just, we're just in this like older recording. That's our uncon- what's not conscious in ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Vera. Uh, she put in the comments there, sometimes it feels safer to stay in than to get out. It is true that that all plays into it. But somehow we have to get past our emotions, past our feeling, and, you know, look at it from a 30,000 foot view. You know, that's where the, that's how you, by the way, you change self-esteem if it's low, is you, you start to see yourself in a different light. So you have to start, you have to change the way you see yourself. That's why it's in the middle. When you see yourself in the correct light, you'll start feeling better about yourself and you will be more resistant to not being treated poorly because self-dignity kicks in and then you don't allow people to treat you poorly. It's a battle. I always say it's, you know, we talk about these things, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's a lot of work and uh, you have to retrain your brain, the neuroplasticity Highways have been developed since childhood. So sometimes it takes a bit to get them re. The good news is it's neuroplasticity. It suggests that it's elastic. You can actually uh, shape it and form it. So you can retrain your brain when it's needed, but it's a long process. I like what Eric said. Uh, in the um, We get stuck in that narrative. That's just that old narrative keeps yep. replaying itself. Yeah. And remember, the brain can't tell the difference between like a thought and reality. So when you enumerate over trauma or over a certain way of thinking, limiting beliefs, uh, your brain thinks you're actually experiencing it right then. And so um, that's why it's, it's very difficult to break the cycle. 
Thanks, Martin. But that takes courage, right? It takes courage yes. to look within yourselves first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes people ask, well, when does that happen? I always say, well, there's a tipping point uh, where you, you shift from it, it causes you more harm than good. Then there's that tipping point where it's like, okay, this is the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change <laughs> and, and making the changes. And I think we all have to come to that critical tipping point. And uh, like it's just like Vera said, you know, the pain of staying in becomes greater than the fear of getting out. That motivation gives you the strength or the courage to uh, take steps. You know, it's coming up from Mark as he, as he talked about this and the parallel conversation about staying in the same career, the same job, because it's safe and you're getting paid and there's validation from it, but yet you're not happy going to work every morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the same parallel in our lives. We do the exact same thing in our lives. And we've also seen the opposite when things aren't good at home or in your relationship at home, they're great at work, then you're balanced. So you feel okay about that. Good. I have something to look forward to. I don't need to worry about this part of my life. I'm going to focus on that or vice versa. It's that balance that we need to be looking at. It's that courage and uh, be, have the ability to say, this is what I need. This is where my values are aligned and it works. One of the key takeaways that we do in our leadership program, it says attract and retain employees. How do you attract and retain employee? It's from being a lot more aware for the leadership. It's being open and communicative and knowing the values. That's how you attract and retain employees. How do we attract and retain relationships? Very similar. Understanding what the values are, understanding who we are, and understanding who, what our awareness is, and then we start attracting those right if that other person's unaware, it's on us to leave or change or walk away from it. It's not on, it's, that's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is understand who you are, what you need, and make the right decisions for yourself. Trying to change anybody? Well, I don't think it's ever been succeeded. Doesn't work. It doesn't. You know, we do a lot of coaching. One thing we've learned is as we become aware and we change, it ripples. In time, it has patience. And sometimes it doesn't. Trying to change somebody is a relational violation. Well, it doesn't. Mic drop, mic drop. It's a, it's a relational violation to expect the other person to change. It's amazing that, uh, you know, when I'm working with people, now <clears throat> when they've made changes, all of a sudden they see the other person in different light and they say, oh, they've changed so much. You really helped them. <laughs> it's like, no, actually it was you that changed. And you're, now you're just seen through a different lens. So, Well, and that's back again to Sue's example. The question he brought up in the beginning is, uh, and this is part of that journey of discovery, which is as, as you, as we individually take it upon ourselves to grow, to change, to become better. That whoever said ripple effect, I mean, that ripple effect can be, and most likely would be that you're going to outgrow certain relationships. Some people will not change only because, not because they can't, they choose not to, or they, 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 
settled into this apathetic state. This is who I am. It's who I'll always be. Like me or leave me. Well, that might come to that. If you're growing and they're not, you've got to make a decision at some point. It's like, do I want to keep investing in a relationship where that person doesn't seem to want to invest in their own, in their own growth? Just to add to that, we have to, re- we have to keep in mind, though, the, the rhythm of, of that change. In other words, there's seasons where my wife grew tremendously and inspired me to look at myself and change. But then there were seasons where maybe I was growing in my healing journey and it would inspire her. And then she realized she needed to look inside. So there, we have to have space and grace for one another to realize that, hey, maybe they're not in a growth ebb right now. It's an ebb and flow in, in relationships. But if it's only ebb or only oh. growth, then that's when you have to assess that and say, hey, maybe I've just grown beyond. But I, I just wanted to put that caveat in there because you know, Sandy uh, had a million reasons to leave me and we've been married 39 years, but there was that ebb and flow. We had to realize, you know, and when it stops, that is when the relationship has to be, you know, yep, you might have to let go of it. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do so, but I'm just saying that you want to make sure that you're not looking at only changing them. You need to also. So just be watching for the ebb and flow. There's seasons in life. Yeah, see, I appreciate that a lot because I think that there's also kind of benefit. I don't want to change him, but I would like to continue to work on myself and to maybe provide better pathways or to have him see the other side of what it could be should he make different choices and be there to support him to help him make those better choices. And I think that the benefit in the end is going to far outweigh, like it's going to be fabulous. There's a reason I continue to stay. And it's just like a bad employee. You know, you can mentor that employee and see if they're going to get better, or you can just let the employee go. And sometimes the employee, you know, has that certain quality, has that, that grasp that you know they could be great. They just need that mentoring and that patience. And that is, I think that's very important. The answer doesn't always have to be fire the bad employee or, or walk away from the from the difficult relationships. As we wrap up, you know, Kevin and I really want to just acknowledge all of you for showing up and really to become more aware. And this is a journey. It doesn't stop today. It won't stop tomorrow. It's a journey we're going to keep on taking forever. Uh, there is no end game to this awareness. So thank you for being part of it and we acknowledge you for doing the hard work. Absolutely. And somebody used the word courage. Maybe it was you, Licky. Congratulations to everyone here because the fact that you're here shows courage. Because you're like, you know what? I want to be better. And that's courageous. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global. 
a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.